you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read the word of the Lord and then pray for his guidance and direction. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Father, help us to grasp this. If we may understand the riches that a child of God possesses at this very instant. Lord, the feebleness that I have seen in your church tells me that many do not understand that they are children of the Most High God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Open our souls wide and deep that we may grasp this. And as we just sang, hallelujah, by and by. To your glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. We're looking at a verse that I call poverty to make us rich. I have seen and you have seen people who are wealthy who give to the poor, but they never give to the point of their own poverty. Uh, This is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He gave to his own poverty so that we would be rich. We looked at his riches and his riches are only those equal to God. He is self-existent, has absolutely no need of anything, not even his father. He is God in 100% form as God is 100% as the Holy Spirit is 100%. And it is non-negotiable. I hear people tell me he was pre-existent. He is, but he is also eternal. And sometimes we forget that he is pre-existent and he is eternal. So therefore, his riches are only that that are in creation. It's all his. Regardless how big it is, regardless how small it is, everything that is created is his. And he has jurisdiction over it and absolute power and authority over all of it. If you really want to look at what God does, you can rest in assurance that there is no such thing as an accident. It is all intentional. And now all of a sudden you start getting your head twisted up and your brain starts beating on one side. But I just want you to know when I think about what's going on around in my life on a daily moment by moment basis, I can look at it and I know that the Lord Jesus Christ has it all. Has it all. But what was this poverty? I've heard a lot of people, good, solid Bible expositors, try to tell me that he came into poverty. Well, that's not true. Uh, and, and I looked at that in depth last week. A lot of people said, well, he was born in a manger. It's because there's no room in the Holiday Inn. Okay, I mean, and, you know, it could have been a Holiday Inn Express. He could have slept, been born out by the swimming pool on the lawn chair. Doesn't make him poor, it just makes it crowded. He was a tradesman. Tradesmen throughout history have been able to generate a wage. The Apostle Paul traveled and a lot of his work, he paid for himself. A lot of his travel, he paid for himself sewing leather. He was a tradesman. 
Okay, so uh, you got to get uh, a lot of this is uh, what I call hallmark theology. Um, you know, you may say, well, he was only poor enough to give two doves. What did he do with the gold from the wise men? Okay, I got news for you. If you're cruising from Nazareth below Jerusalem to Bethlehem, okay, on a donkey, and I believe the text says his wife was heavy with child, you're not going to bring a bunch of sacrificial animals and keep track of them too. Okay? So we, we sometimes get this view, and, and his poverty is he left, the face-to-face communion he has with his father to take on the veil of humanity. How humiliating. God who spoke time into existence taking on the veil of flesh. That gives a whole new meaning to poor. To think that you exist with the Father who says the waters fit in the hollow of His hand and the span of His hand is creation and to come down and hang out with us? That's poverty. That's poverty. He was rich. Yes, existence belongs to Him. And yet for our sake, He became poor. Yes, he left the throne and walked among men. And we won't even get into the abuse that he endured. And people say, well, the abuse of the cross. How abusive would it be to know the hearts of everybody you're talking to? How abusive would that be? He knew the hearts of every man, woman, and child he spoke to. That's poverty. But by his riches of what he had, he forsook them in his poverty so he could give us a gift. His poverty, we might become rich. Through his poverty. Through him taking on the veil of humanity, the incarnation, we became rich. He had a purpose in doing this. His poverty, all of that was not for him. It was for us. It was for us. It was for your sake. To make poor sinners Eternally rich. Listen, this isn't dealing with the material. Okay? This is dealing with the spiritual. There's a. uh, You and I, because of the country we're in and the society we're in, I I mean, it's it's funny, and just the years that I have been alive, I remember when a hundred billion dollars was like, wow. Okay, now we speak of things in trillions of dollars. And nobody blinks an eye. I'm saying trillions. That's like when you was a kid, you said, look, a gazillion. 
How many is that? You can't count them. I had a friend of mine, a mathematician. He said, if you spend a million dollars a day, million dollars a day since the birth of Christ, you cannot spend one trillion dollars. One trillion dollars. Okay. You know, that's like a lot of quarters. Okay. But we just throw it out there. It's like, and, and so when I listen to people try to talk about Christ in the material realm, it's kind of comical. He owns space. He owns time. He owns all authority over all things. And you want to talk about a trillion dollars? Oh, did I tell you that he created gold? And it's so invaluable to him, he uses it for pavement at his place. Okay? Wow! Pearls. He has pearl doors. One pearl, one door. But I bet it rolls easy. Because he is a carpenter. Rich. Christ's richness is the same riches that God has. So the riches that he gives us. You might want to unhook your chairs and grab hold of the side. What would that be? For a Christian, you are rich because of his poverty. What riches would that be? The same riches that God has. I remember one time when we had, were downtown and we were having a yard sale or something. And I was sitting in my little lawn chair, minding my own business. Okay, that is my spiritual gift. I try to exercise it in its full authority. I was sitting there, and at the corner was this lady, and she kept looking across at me. And it kind of gave me that heebie-jeebie creepy thing. Okay? So finally, I thought, well, she must see something that the ladies were selling, and perhaps she shall go by. <laughs> well, perhaps not. So she come up to me. She says, sir, I've been observing you. And that, that's always very encouraging, isn't it? And I said, well, yeah, all right. She says, I, I want you to know that you are surrounded by a vast host of angels. And I said, well, that, that's, that's cool. What, are you going to argue with her? Sure, all right. She says, if you would like, I can show you how to command them. And I said, you don't need to. She said, why not? I says, I know their boss. What? Yeah, their boss. Well, who's their boss? Me. Well, sir, I think that, please, lady, I'm joint heir with Christ. He is my friend. We are brothers. He created him. I have no worries. She never did buy anything. 
Too many times we're trying to plug in that riches, the material. But I would rather have the spiritual eternal riches. The riches that are the same riches that Christ possess. The richness that is in salvation. The richness that is in forgiveness. The richness that is in joy. The richness that is in peace. The richness that is in life. The richness that is in light. The richness that is in glory. The richness that is in honor. The richness that is in majesty. I prefer those. Keep your trillion. We are so rich, we are called joint heirs with Christ. And we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefilable. Rust and moth and thief cannot touch our riches. It never fades away. It is laid up for us in heaven. We are rich. We are as rich as Jesus is rich. And I think there's times that we don't pay attention to how really poor we were to start with. We sometimes forget about our poverty. The same poverty that Jesus embraced in his incarnation. So poor that we had to come as beggars, Matthew 5 tells us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it literally means like Lazarus. I don't even work for day wages. I hope crumbs fall off the table. That's poor. We are beggars in spirit. Before Christ. We have nothing. You know this is one of the things that annoys me. Probably more than anything. We have nothing. Absolutely nothing. To commend ourselves on. Do you understand that? Nothing. I don't care what you're good at. You cannot commend yourself of it. We hunger and thirst for just the basics. That's where we started. And he came to make us rich. To make us rich. He did it for our sake. To make us as rich as he is rich. Think about that for a second. Let your little brain try to grab a hold of that. Because I know you can't wrap your brain around it. So just see if you can get a finger hold on it. I'm only as rich as Christ is rich. Okay. Because he became poor. If his riches is in being God then our riches is being like him. Do you ever think about that? That's why Paul can say, be anxious for nothing. Rejoice in everything. And we sit there and go, well, he don't understand. You don't know how rich you are then, do you? you look at our lives, people. 
We hang on to this world so tight and we wonder why our knuckles hurt. Let go of it. It's all his. And I'm an heir. I am only as rich as Christ is rich. And Christ is only as rich as God. The very... I I try to articulate this and I keep saying, you know what, Terry? You can't explain this. If God doesn't move on their hearts, it it don't really matter what you say. (laughs) It's like, well, cool. So, we're done. (laughs) No. (laughs) I wrote these things down. You might as well listen to what I had was going through my little old pea brain. Romans 5 tells me the spirit of the living God has been poured into my heart that I may love as God loves. Right? Did you ever think about that? A Christian. A true Christian is indwelt by who? Holy Spirit. How much God is the Holy Spirit? All of it. So the very life of God indwells you. If you're saved. Okay, you may not be saved. I mean, you know, being in a church doesn't make you saved. But if you are indwelled by the Spirit of God, then you have the life of God indwelling you. And you know what? I'm, I'm not a theologian or anything, but that should be noticeable. Just an idea. If the person of God is indwelling that container, I'm thinking it would reflect... Possibly a little more of God than sometimes it does. He lives, yet Christ lives in us. What? But I thought I was indwelled by the Spirit. Well, the Spirit is strengthening the inner man so that Christ will dwell in you comfortably and God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think. You're outnumbered. It's three against one. And three of them are God. You ain't. We are the possessors of the eternal life of God right now. That freaks me out. There's times when I just sit there and go, huh. Because I I just run out of (laughs) adjectives. I just give it a big, huh. We will be made like him. We will be conformed into his image. Romans 8, 29. That is the reason that you were saved. We each, every Christian, will reflect his glory. Every Christian will own his heaven. Every Christian will possess the glory of the new heaven and the new earth and all that it contains. Every Christian will possess the new Jerusalem, the city of eternity. Every Christian. And yet I get Christians who believe they are lacking. I need more grace. No, you need to be slapped. 
And I don't know if you need to be slapped in a loving way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What a knucklehead bunch of people. He gave thanks in every way because they had been enriched by Christ. And you sit there and you read the first six chapters and you think, what a bunch of morons. Have you ever thought about that? In every way conceivable, even the material of the eternal state, that is ours. Because we are children of the king. We have the immaterial joys. We have the immaterial glories. And those are all ours. I'm not waiting to take possession of them. They are mine because the eternal life of God is in me. You can't tell where I begin and Christ begins. They are one fused together. There's no separation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 22. For all things are yours. Do you believe that? Do you look like you believe that? I don't understand how that's a truth. And people can't say, dude, you look like you own everything. I do. The life of God is in me. I possess the eternality of Godhead in all of its forms. All things are yours. Do you know what the word all means, right? It means all the things that are in the world. All the things that are in life, all the things that are in death, all the things that are present and all the things that are future. They are all yours. They are all ours. They are all ours now. I'm not waiting to pay the rent. You are Christ and Christ is God's. I don't see any leakage there. Everything. We are the rich. We have all the riches. And you know what? I was going through chapter 9. And we'll see a whole bunch more in chapter 9. But I think you're starting to get the picture. If not, then all you need to do is get saved. You, we, are joint heirs. We reign with Him. Now. Do you know that right now, the most infantile child of God, has absolute authority over every angel. It's an interesting concept if you think about it. And the lady's going to tell me how to do what? We sit on the thrones. We are the rich in position. We are the rich in privilege. And we are the rich in the relationship. The chasm that is between the unbeliever and God is non-existent for a believer. There is no chasm. I am one with Christ. Everything there is that can be blessed, we have been given. Do you ever think about that? We can never forget that by His self-imposed and willing poverty, the riches that Jesus gave me. I shared with you one of the first Russian pastors I ever met. He had preached under communism and been in prison multiple times for preaching the gospel. And um, 
And I asked him, I, I, I said, Vadim, um, now that you have all this freedom, I, I've, I've got to ask you a question. I said, what is the greatest freedom that you have bore witness to coming out of the place that you were? And, and it's a big Slavic guy. And, and you guys know I make fun of the Russians. They don't smile and you, you, they don't like to make eye contact. It's, it's bizarre. But, you know, and of course, I've learned this. And so I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> Look at me. I'm talking to you. Smile. Anyway, he starts looking at me and he starts tearing up and he says, this thing that I have found is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It's Ephesians. Why is that such an amazing thing? He says, because under socialism, all I had was the gospel of Luke. I didn't know the letter to the church in Ephesus existed. Now then, I shared that before because we have multiple... uh, Bibles, you know, we've got them on our phone now. I, I, I watch people doing this and I think, how rude. Sit there and text people and then I realize that they got the Bible on the phone. I thought if you did that, you had to have glasses. But anyway, uh, so you, you, you watch people do this and, and, I, and I sat there and I thought, well, you know, the richest of having the 66 books, which is the Bible, probably does freak him out. But I always thought back on that. Do you realize what that statement means? You know what's amazing about that text? You're not being blessed with every spiritual blessing. You already have them. Okay, do you know which ones those are? All of them. What are you lacking? What do you act like you're lacking? All of them. That is amazing. It's astonishing to me. I do not know how you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and have any kind of trouble. It isn't that you will not have tribulation in this life, but I'm asking you a question. Do you believe you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Do you walk as if you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? We can never forget this. What he self-imposed willingly, that poverty, to make us rich. And we walk around like we're a bunch of beggars. And I keep saying, but I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. He emptied himself, a self-emptying, a self-sacrificing love. He poured out unrestrained by which we are so blessed that we should be out of our minds in gratitude. I have told people who are going through horrific situations in your life, and I said, if he never gave you anything except eternal life, what are you lacking? That's why my counseling business is so massive. By which we are blessed, how thankful are we? And... In the context now, think about what he's talking about. What is his topic? Giving. And that is exactly the reason why we need to give to others. What has been given to us? All of it. According to the riches of heaven. And I should stop giving when? Never. Why? Because the riches are eternal. You can't give it all away. 
You can try. You'll never make it. As Jesus bowed to be poor, to make others rich, what are we doing? Should be noted of us. Now listen, you can stand there and say, well, man, that's what a standard. Then go back and ask yourself what you've been blessed with. It's a very, very, very strong concept. And it is exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians and to us today. Paul is telling the Corinthians. He is telling us. He wants us. He wanted them to follow the Lord's example. Even if my giving impoverishes me. Interesting, huh? Follow the Lord's example. Well, and you hear it all the time. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Right? We hear it. Yeah. What do you do with the follow part? Because see, that's all in the same sentence. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I was teaching on discipleship about a month ago. The one that caused a lot of the angst among the men was what is your commitment to follow? See, you can be a believer and not be a disciple. Thief on the cross didn't really have a long track of following. Okay, but you cannot be a disciple and not be a believer. And the degree will be. What is my commitment? Do I really believe that I'm a joint heir with Christ? Do I really believe that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Do I believe all that Christ is, is me? Do I really believe that? Then what would be the trouble of following? When I think about giving, and, and, and you know, it's amazing because I, will, I listen to people. I've had many dialogues with people over the course. I started teaching on giving back in what I think May. And it's funny how we have selective memory. Okay? God has given us the riches of this planet for us to enjoy. And I'm going to bust my tail to do it. Well, you didn't listen to the rest of the messages, did you? He's given us as a stewardship. Why? When I see a need, I take care of the need. Okay? That's because I am a joint heir with Christ. I don't go tell anybody I'm taking care of the need. I see the need. I take care of the need. I know people right now who see a need and want me to pray about it. Now, if you see the need, take care of the need. Well, what if it's financial? What was the qualifier? Is it a need? It's a need. Because that's what we do. Why? Uh, What did Christ do? He saw the need. And he saw that it was vast. It was massive. 
And it could only be overcome by him giving it all up, emptying himself. And he did. Listen, I have been around the body of Christ long enough now that I can say I have watched us eagerly receive what the poverty of Christ gives us. Would you agree? His poverty gives me what? I'm in. Right? That means we're not beggars anymore. Jesus wasn't a beggar. But the question is, are we ready in that same eagerness to meet anyone's need, even if we suffer loss? Wow. <laughs> Aren't you guys glad that I <laughs> write with a fountain pen? <laughs> Maybe one of these days I'll run out of ink. The Lord has created a community of people who share their lives and their resources who are willing to become poor to make someone else rich. It's his creation. Now, I know a lot of people who forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some. Why? So I don't have to meet needs. I don't have to be involved. I prefer larger churches. I've had people come and say, you know, I just can't handle a little church. It's too intimate. Fine. Then bring your friends and we'll be a large church. <laughs> this is based on the offerings for the saints in Jerusalem. They had never met the saints in Jerusalem. Not only that, you had some quote-unquote legalistic saints in Jerusalem. There were some Jewish problems. Peter was determined that Gentiles shouldn't do this, even when he has a vision to give thanks of all the food and eat it, even when he goes down and sees Cornelius come unto salvation, and then he goes up into Antioch and he starts hanging out with the Gentiles. They think it's kind of cool. Some Jews shows up and then he forsakes the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul has to tell him, you can't do that. Okay, so there's some issues. And you know what? I guarantee you that even in this group, there are some that are a little bit on the thorny side. It doesn't mean you don't meet their needs. The offering for the saints. I want you to think about something. This is something that I've been kind of pondering through my head. And and I, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to articulate it correctly. But I want you to think of something. Paul is saying, I want you to give to the Jerusalem saints because of the implications of the incarnation. Did you get that? When you discuss one, it should bring to mind the other. When I think about the incarnation, I think about his poverty to make us Rich. So there are saints that you and I deal with who are in need. And because of the incarnation, it should behoove us to without any problem and even an eagerness to give to those saints who are in need. I know several situations right now here in this congregation that there are financial needs. 
But I'm not going to sit up here and badger everybody because you guys ought to know enough people in this congregation to say, you know, I think I know who he's talking about. Because when I think about the cup and the wafer, I'm thinking of the incarnation and my next thing that crosses my mind is what am I giving for the furtherance of the gospel? Interesting, isn't it? I have a quote from a guy in 1968 called Interpretations. The Poverty of Christ. The guy's name is Fred Craddock. Quote, There is nothing mundane and outside the concept and responsibility of the Christian. There are not two worlds, but there is one. Money for the relief of the poor is as spiritual as prayer. The offering for the saints in Judea was for Paul a definite implication of the incarnation. It is no surprise that the discussion of one should bring to mind the other. The offering, in fact, provided an occasion for teaching the meaning of Christology. And Christology informed and elicited the offering. Unquote. He says it a lot better than I say it. One should bring to mind the other. I'm thinking about giving, I should be thinking about the incarnation. If I think about the incarnation, I should be thinking about giving. And I should be saying, you know what? And it doesn't even matter if it makes me poor. Paul saw the offering as an expression of the central truth of Christianity. Christ is God. Christ made himself poor to make others rich. How about you? Think about, I guess, uh, the simplest way I can think about it. When I'm always struggling with what to give. His crown of thorns for our crown of glory. Kind of simplistic now. He who was rich became poor. Why? So we would become rich. It's a pattern and a model for how we should treat those around us. And you know what? Among the saints, there are those who have needs. And, and you know what? You have to listen to all the messages. Because I gave you the guidelines. Showed you you take care of your own first. Okay, don't outspend yourself. You know, if you're carrying a whole bunch of death, repent. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it should become an issue that I hope absolutely crushes your heart. There's no need for it. We are an extraordinarily wealthy nation. And I don't care who you are. I make less now than I did when I was hired. So don't tell me it don't work. I've been here for 20 years. And I have not want. I would like gas to get <laughs> a little cheaper. 250 a gallon would be an amen for me. <laughs> Problem is it only be there for half an hour. Um, <laughs> see, there again, that's that eternal thing I keep telling you about. In heaven, gas is free. 
how we treat others around us. How do we meet the needs? Do I meet the needs? When the pastor says we have a need, can I give sacrificially? That moment. Are we willing as Christ was, as he has given all things richly for us to enjoy? How may we commit to following Christ? How does it look? Well, it's easy. You walk as he walks. You know what? And I I, I think the thing that is the easiest, and I will warn you about this because I know how tempting it is. You hold this world loosely. Loosely. I've had two customers come in uh, with very old motorcycles uh, and they... You know, the, the one guy was a nom vet. He got out of Vietnam in 1969. First year, Honda came out with the 750 four-cylinder, four carburetors. And uh, he rode it up until like 1979. It's been sitting in a shed. Now he wants to restore it because he got this right after he got out of Vietnam. And can I fix it? And I said, yeah, I can fix it. And he says, well, what do you think it would cost me? And I said, well, let me tell you something. Sentimentalism is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, he said, what's the first year Honda came out with? It? I said, there's a reason that they don't make them no more. <laughs> so just just be warned. And uh, so I don't know. The other guy was the same way. I got this motor. This was my first motorcycle. And I said, looks like it. <laughs> so what, what do you think I should do? Trade it in. <laughs> For what? I don't care. <laughs> it's, Anyway, hold this world loosely. Hold this world loosely. Whatever it takes to meet the needs, he loves so much that he did it. Are we followers of Christ? My prayer is, as I was concluding this, Lord, let them be eager. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you for the richness that the saints of the Most High God possess. Father, I still wrestle with being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Lord, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There will come a time I will know as I am known, and I rest in that assurance. Father, I pray that the eagerness in this church, we are small. But I've already watched you do an awful lot. And yet, Father, you still have us here, which tells me we aren't done. And Father, I pray that we will be sensitive to what you're wanting done, the furtherance of your kingdom, the proclamation of your word, the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the power of your living spirit. Father, I pray we stay with humble hearts, overwhelmed in gratitude, the amazing things you do. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for the privilege of your word. Placing us in the body of Christ for such a time as this. And Father, may we look around and understand that the incarnation is directly tied to the giving of those in need for their richness.
your glory and praise. Amen.